Some of, of us are here for the first time. Some of us don't normally come on Wednesday and we're here. Some of us are here all the time. Some of us are in other classes sometime. And one of the things I do when I come to a class and I'm not familiar is I look around and I wonder if I belong, you know? Went in a class the other day and Charlotte leaned over and said, we're the oldest ones in here. Um, but I, I like this class because this is just a real mix. So if you wonder if you belong, you, you do. Uh, it's just a mix and you can't destroy a mix. Well, I brought this guy with me tonight and I'm not sure what he is, but he's got a lot of hair. And I got him, Barry, from the Elders Conference Room in Waco, Texas. That's where I used to serve. I, I preached there for 20 years. And uh, a friend of mine brought it to an elders meeting one night. And just as we were leaving to go to Memphis five years ago, he said, take that monkey with you. And this is, this is what this is about. Uh, my friend was kind of getting frustrated. No, nobody ever here, nobody hears and knows about that, but he was serving as a shepherd and a bit frustrated. And he, he said, uh, he said, you know, we sit in this room and people come in and I feel like we're left holding the monkey. They want us to do something. They want us to take care of something. They want us to fix something. And then sometimes we talk to one another and I feel more weighed down than when we got together. And he said, I brought, he was telling all of us, all the ministers were in there one night, all the elders in there. He said, I just thought I'd bring the monkey so at least we could just see who's got it. And we all laughed. Well, let me tell you, sometimes when, when uh, we talk about our families or our marriages, we would like for somebody in that family to hold the monkey. Things would be better if it wasn't for you. Thing, you know, we, if you would just get it together, if you'd be like my father, if you would, we, and so it's sort of like you feel like you, you, you're kind of holding a monkey and everybody's looking at you. That's not what this is. Uh, as disciples of Christ and as people who are families, and when I use that word, doesn't matter if you have kids, it doesn't matter if, you're, if you got 10 of them, uh, it, 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 it matters if you have 10. Does it, does it really? <laughs> Jay says it matters if you have 10, so I'll backtrack that. But uh, here's the deal. We, as, as, as husbands and wives, we share in holding this monkey. This is not all up to you. It's not all up to me. And so I just want you to hear for the, that, that that's kind of the spirit, whatever's said tonight, uh, that's kind of the spirit I want to do that with. The other thing I want to say is some of us are single. Now used to, I was really self-conscious about saying the word family or saying the word marriage to single people. Because I guess I didn't know what to say or I'd afraid I'd say the wrong thing. Well, here's what I learned. Marriages and families are really important to single people because they come from families and uh, their friends are in families and uh, they're concerned about the children uh, in people's families they love. And many of them have nieces and nephews. And so we're all in this together, especially those of us who are a part of a congregation because we we're, our kids, whether they're, you know, in our family or not, because they're a part of the church, they matter to us, don't they? 
And these marriages at Highland matter to us, whether we're single or married. Now, uh, let me tell you a little bit about kind of what this is. The title is when flawed marriages and families of the Bible meet God's grace. Now, this class is for adults only because you got to be old enough to attend this class, because if you're a bit younger, you're still, uh, uh, you know, your ide uh, the ideal is right in front of you. And one day, you know, it's going to be wonderful one day. And and, you know, he, he doesn't make mistakes. And I don't think I do. And if we could just take it to the next level and all of that. And then we look at Facebook and everybody's grinning. I was looking at a, at a post today on Facebook. I love these two people. But here's here was the pose. She had this striking look at him and he had this look at her. And there was a wonderful you, you may have taken this picture. I mean, it was it was a professional photograph and they, it was happy anniversary. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, especially if you're the photographer. Nothing wrong with that. The, the problem is it, uh, we, we've got some folks who are just making their home in Facebook and who believe that that's the reality every day. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I talk to these people and they're asking, what's wrong with my marriage? What's wrong with my children? What's wrong with me? My life is not like this. And I'm telling them what you just saw was one single snapshot in time. That's all you saw. They're, I, I know these people and they're just like us. Well, what I'd like to do for a minute is talk about this whole business of flawed families uh, meeting God's grace. And we're going to be in Genesis three. I want to say a little bit about marriage uh, today. Do, do a little of that. Um, These first three chapters of Genesis, chapters one and two are just wonderful, aren't they? Yeah. What's perfect about Genesis one and two, the, the content? What's, what's perfect? Creation. There's, there's no losses there. Everybody wins. Perfect trees, perfect plants, whatever you're interested in, absolutely perfect. My goodness, let's go there for vacation. It won't be perfect when you get there, but, but, or, or I get there, but it looks it, perfect. And then we get to three and these human beings. Oh my goodness. We'll talk about that in just a minute. All right. When we think about what, what is it that makes, what do we think about when we think about flawed families or flawed marriages. And let's do this tonight. Let's talk about other people instead of you. That just gets too personal. So we're talking about them other folks you've been looking at or we've been looking at. What makes other folks, marriages and families, sometimes it's just flawed, it's messed up. It's, 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 what, what, what's happening? Just, just call it out. We see train wrecks all the time. What's happening? Huh? What well, we just we just tied up in a knot here. Sin, okay. Now from there, selfishness. Sometimes it's just, as my mama would say, pure de old selfishness. So what's happening sometimes in these families that you know flawed and what? Well, they're not like us. 
Well, sometimes they're not, they're not like us, you know. Sometimes we look at them and go, you know, they didn't raise their children right. And, and sometimes it's, it's that. Sometimes they're in the middle of train wrecks. Uh, boy, I remember preaching one Sunday morning and I, Larry's safe over here. I'll look at Larry. It was about over here where they were sitting and I was looking at this family and I knew the police had been to their house less than 12 hours ago to separate a fight between daughter and daddy. And here they were and here I was and here the folks were. And sometimes things like that happen. A daughter is unmarried and she's pregnant. You find out that you, you, you got this son and you adore him and he's been having this affair and talking about discarding your precious daughter-in-law and you just, you go, where'd that boy come from? You, you feel, you look at your grandchild and something's odd about him or her and somebody says something about drugs and one day, you know, you, it just goes on and on and on. And the thing I know about folks as we, as we just keep living life, we run into more train wrecks. And sometimes they're in other people's family and sometimes they're in ours. Some of you have gotten the call like I have and somebody says, can we have lunch? And you're kind of wondering what's going on and you sit down and they start telling you this story. It just breaks your heart. Now, the reality of our lives is that we live in a broken world and brokenness impacts us as human beings and our own, our own sin. And sometimes the sin of other people impacts us. Are you impacted by what your children do? Yeah, I am. When one of my children mess up or I remember be one of them in college and I'm just pacing the floor and praying, you know, oh God, I don't know where she is, but would you please? Uh, it, that affect, yeah, you, you, okay. So what I'd like to do is, is for us to spend some time just thinking about some of the family, some of the situations of the Bible and how God's grace meets up with that kind of reality, okay? Let's read for a moment uh, a portion of uh, Genesis 3. And what I'd like to do, if it's okay, is just read a portion of 3 and then we'll come back to it in a minute. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you, he, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And here comes this wonderful, uh, wonderful is not the word, this very stark, uh, important line from, from Satan or the serpent you will not surely die. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they uh, sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We'll come back to all this. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? first question we know of God asking a human being, where, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, told you, I told you, you should, that woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And, and the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then he goes on and there's this curse and on and on. Let's talk for a moment about marriage and uh, uh, this is being recorded, and so I really I want to acknowledge where some, the source for a little bit of this. There is a, a person by the name of Sarah Williams uh, who made a couple of these observations. I want to read a few of these to you. They're on your notes under marriage observations. Typically seen today, marriage, talking about marriage, as personal with no relationship or responsibilities to anyone else. My marriage is all about me. I may change partners at times. I don't care what that does to mama and daddy, don't care what that does to anybody else. This is my life. Marriage is, is, a, is a, in, in this kind of cultural assumption, a very, very, it's just a private affair, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Uh, number two, Today's sexual ethics are nothing more than private consent. You know, the ethic today, if there is any ethic left uh, about uh, uh, sexuality and what human beings do is that there must be consent. But beyond that, there's not much. And so uh, people have sexual relations outside their marriage, before their marriage, uh, in a, you know, they, you, you do whatever you're going to do, and the whole point is uh, it was their consent. What matters in Christian love is how we learn to love people to whom we are committed. That is a very important statement. What matters in Christian love is how we learn to love people to whom we are committed. My task as a married person, if I'm just getting married, and I, I guess I'd have to, uh, you have to, if I was young again, I probably wouldn't have this color of hair, I guess, though some of those have names. If, if I was young again uh, and had brown hair again, 
and Charlotte and I were starting all over, the most important task for me on the day of my wedding would be, now that I have committed myself to her, it would be learning to love her. And that takes a long time. Self-fulfillment cannot be the goal of Christian life. Jesus died to allow me to give myself away. A life that is bent on fulfilling my own selfishness is a trap. Why, why might that be a trap? If my desires could be satisfied, that's where I'll find happiness in life. This guy told me, or actually didn't tell me this, told a friend of mine this, he said, you know, I know we've been married 40 years, but the heart has to follow its way. And so the heart had a skirt, by the way, but the, or, the, or what he was looking at. But, but, you know, he had his eye on some other woman, and so he was justifying leaving a 40-year marriage. Because, uh, you know, nothing is greater in that, in that, from that perspective than me fulfilling my own selfish desires. Fidelity is a limitation so that we can love. We Christians believe in fidelity, don't we? That I'm marrying you, I'm, 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 you know, I'm marrying Susie, and so that eliminates Rebecca and Marla and whoever else. I, I, I'm faithful, but, uh, but, it, but the fidelity, it, it, I'm not trapped by my fidelity. In fact, it frees me up so that I can love this person. Years ago, um, I used to uh, spend a lot of time in a drug rehab place. It was a 30-day residential center, and uh, this was a different era. The, uh, the, they liked having a minister in there, okay? And so I would go over there, and I would spend one, it seemed like it was Wednesday afternoon, with these recovering people, and there were these alcohol drug therapists. And this, this counselor came up to me one day and she said, I wish you could, uh, I wish you would work with me in talking with this couple about their marriage because it's really naughty and I'd, it would help me if you would do this this afternoon. So she and I sat down with this couple and uh, this woman looked at me and looked at her and said, you need to know I have an open marriage and I come and go and do what I wish, but I love him. And I said, does that, think, does that mean what I think it means? And she said, what do you think it means? And I said, it sounds like you, you're with this guy and that guy and whatever. And she says, no, it just means that I follow my desires, but I'm committed to him. Well, some people would look at that and say, man, she has got tremendous freedom. Wow, what a life. I mean, you know, if you can kind of come and go and yet go home at night and know that he's gonna be there. Um, not so sure that's freedom, but in fact, uh, a, a trap. Let's wrap these up. Uh, this is still fidelity. It is the outworking of devotion in which we cleave to God, even though it cost us what our flesh may otherwise desire. This is a pattern of life lived in worship to God, and we're called to serve one another. What it's important in Christian love is to learn how to love the people, that statement again, to whom we are committed.
Now what some of us do, um, uh, some of us spend, uh, uh, we, we will look at this and we will look at what the Bible has to say about marriage and our kids will look at what the Bible has to say about marriage. And some of us are convinced that life could be good if we could find Mrs. Right or Mrs. Always Right or, or if we could find Mr. Right. And so I'm on this search for Mrs. Right. Heard this woman say something like this. I looked across the room and I saw his eyes and he looked at me and I looked at and there was something there. Well, I don't know what was there. She just eating Mexican food or what. But <laughs> but there are people who talk like that, that 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 somehow there's this there's this perfect Mr. Right or Mrs. Always Right. And 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 it's just a matter of, you know, being successful in the search. And so there are people who enter these marriages and I'm telling you, I talk to them and they're, some of them are 30 and 40 years old now, but, but they have got expectations that are ridiculous. If we love one another, we would never argue. Who told you that? If we love one another, it would never be boring. What? If we love one another, my heart would always flutter when she or he is around. If here was one I heard not long ago, if we if if I really loved her, I wouldn't be interested in anybody else. Your flesh didn't didn't die when you got me. Uh, this can be a dead end street just on this forever search for Mr. and Mrs. Right. And what some folks do is they marry people for a season. You hear that on television um, where, you know, whoever, uh, whoever this, uh, maybe whatever program, maybe they're describing this celebrity and they said, he is, she is married to, he is married to Kathy Hunt, his present wife. Um, if, if somebody started referring to Charlotte as my present wife, or Jim is her present husband, um, kind of underlying some of that is that, you know, one day uh, when it's time, Mr. Mrs. Wright will come along and I will probably change places and change partners, you know, and start anew with somebody else, a new chapter. I, I think there's some help though in just in going to the Bible. And because I think what we do sometimes is just get lost in this mess. So what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about uh, uh, Genesis 3, um, talk a little bit about the image of God and say a couple of things I think will be some good take homes and we're done. OK. All right. So look at your sheet again, if you would. This is all about this first family. All people come from and even help form an imperfect family. All people come from and help form an imperfect family. How do we know that one? Especially if you think you had just a wonderful mother and dad. How do we know that all people come from an imperfect family and help to form an imperfect family? Because my mother and dad, they were good people, but they were also 
That's right. All who remember our remember the, all have all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We we've memorized that text, but we see it in living color all through Scripture. All of us, we can absolutely love mother and daddy, but mother and daddy were not perfect. Mother and daddy, they had their own sin problem, just like we do, right? Now, Adam and Eve, this first uh, imperfect family, Genesis 3 and 1, they originally lived in perfection. Garden of Eden, was at without a flaw, and then things start going wrong. You've read this story and read this story and read this story. What did these people do wrong in Genesis 3, what we just read? You can cheat and look at some of the notes, just kind of glance and then look up at me. That's good. Or you can just say something off the top of your head. What did these people, what went wrong here? They were, what did they do, first of all? What's our story? They weren't faithful to what God had said, to God's word. What else? They listened to the wrong voice. Here they were in, in, in this perfect place. God said, don't do what? Don't eat. Yeah, you don't eat from this certain tree. This great provider giving all these gifts, giving everything beyond imagination. And he places this boundary, this limitation. And uh, the serpent, what does serpent say? This wrong voice. If you look at your Bible again, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals uh, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Do you remember when your kids used to say, we can't do anything. We can't have any fun. You know, one of the things we do in, in our immaturity, and it's easy to talk about our kids, but in our immaturity, one of the things we will do is exaggerate. And did the servant says, did God really say you can't you can't eat from any of these trees? And what what's how does this woman answer? Yes, we can. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent says to the woman, what? This is this is so I love this because, I mean, if you just want to hear the truth about being a human and the truth about life, here is this 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 phrase that Satan has the audacity to, to utter. What does he say? You will not die. One of the things we have to deal with coming into these marriages of the lies. OK, OK. You will not die. As a human being with all kinds of desires, and my, one of my biggest desires, our, our biggest desire, I want my way. I, I, you know, I, I just want my way. In fact, sometimes I think things are wrong if I don't get my way. The serpent here says, you will not die. 
When I was, I remember being in high school and I'm trying to figure all this out. Our fo we, my folks, we were in church, you know, uh, this was back when, you know, uh, anyway, three times a week and every, we went and big preaching meeting, gospel meeting, revival types, you know, we were there all the nights and everything. And I remember it, it, it occurred to me one Sunday night with dimly lit building, our minister was in a dark suit and I could not remember much except his voice was just, and you know, I'm, I'm just kind of immature and goofy and I'm hearing this and it, it occurred to me, I got to spend the rest of my life doing this. I am stuck. Here are the rules. You can't have sex unless you're married. Don't get drunk. Uh, don't let a bunch of nasty mess come out of your mouth. And got to go to a church all the time. And, and, and then all the things that they kept saying were good. I didn't think that sounded all that good. And I know that's pretty immature and I know it says something about my heart and all, I, I know that. But, but somewhere down in there, what, one of the things I had missed was that God wanted, everybody hear this, that God wanted his best for me and for you. What I had thought was that God just didn't want us to be naughty. What God actually didn't want was for us to be destroyed. And there's a big difference in the two. She was on late night television. I can't remember who the host was. It was one of those uh, Jimmy Kimmel-like, uh, you know, just talk show, bring in the celebrities. And she comes in. All I remember, I'm probably in high school again, very attractive, very short dress. She's very coy. And she would say these things with sexual undertones and everybody would laugh and giggle. And at one point she leaned in and she said, I'm a very naughty girl. And of course, just everybody roared. See, and, and that's part of that's part of of what goes on in us, that what God says is basically my own sinful self wants to think God just doesn't want to be me to be naughty. You know, now I'll be naughty if I can go on vacation away from the brethren or I'll be naughty if I can get go out of town on a business trip where other people aren't. But that's the whole point. The truth is God doesn't want us to destroy ourselves. And in destroying ourselves, not only do we, is there this brokenness, but we miss out on God's finest. One of the, one of the things we, we kind of like to do with Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is to keep a proper distance. I'm, I mean, proper in, I'm being sarcastic. Because if it gets too personal, then it makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> Here's the absolute truth. This is our story. This is our story right here. If you want to find out what's going on in your life, there it is. This is what's going on in my, this is the story of, of our, very, the story of our lives. Choosing self-rule over God-rule. 
choosing self-rule over God rule. Where I am thinking nobody's going to tell me what to do. A couple more here. Um, there, 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 there's this, we've, we've never seen this before where these people are hiding. Where, I mean, here's the, here's the God who wants to be present with us and we feel like it's better to hide our true selves. <coughs> We've never seen this before, this moment. And one reason why we can just almost yawn through this is we have gotten so used to it. But this is just startling. We blame others for our imperfection. This man, this man says what? What does he say when the serpent, or when God, I'm sorry, uh, asks where, where they are and have you eaten? What, what, is the, what does this man say? That woman that you gave me, what? The Wayne abbreviated version, yeah, yeah. Forced it down with a, or, or, he gave it to me, hey, eat, 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 yeah. Do, do, do you, you all hear that? And you kind of go back, Dennis, some of those, here's some of the lies again. The reason that I'm the way I am is because of what happened to me, you know, and this, this it's not my fault, and, and this happened to me, and, and maybe it was a bad thing that happened to you. But, but we can, we can kind of go through life, you know, think, well, you know, I'm not who I am, but, uh, and this is one I used to hear a lot, I, I'm not who I am, but you see, uh, that, that sorry elder in that church, he mistreated me, and so uh, you can't blame me for what I'm doing now. I mean, after, you know, that kind of example, uh, all that stuff. But, and, and we do, don't we do that? Y'all ever, this group hadn't, but maybe this group has, y'all ever had a good pout at home before? I got so aggravated with Charlotte one night and she, she, she wanted to go to some place to eat and I'd ask her, where do you go? And I said, I don't care, but I did. And, and that's not fair, is it? And I, it just, it just, Charlie, it just made me kind of aggravated because we're going to go back to that place again and, and, and eat that. And you know, who's, you, know, you know what I'm thinking? Who wants to go there? Which, which basically, well, see all of, do you all hear this? All, all, all of this coming out in this story, this is you, this is me. Where I'm just looking around and I'm blaming this one and blaming that one and, and I'm hiding my true self from God, not repenting and not being open and honest and transparent to the, to, to the Creator. No, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that He and folks only see what's safe to see. And then the last one, being afraid of God instead of being drawn into his presence. And so our sin sometimes creates the following dynamic in our families. We, some families do a lot of blaming. You ever seen families where a lot of blaming goes on? It's all your fault, you know. If you were just a man of God that we've needed, but, but no, you won't go to church and you, or whatever. I mean, I, I, I've known people that just kind of ride that horse, you know. Was that the church lady, by the way? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I heard that a little bit. In that. It could. Uh, den or denial, where we don't want to face reality. Everything is always fine. Everything is wonderful. 
And I get that in, in these social situations where we're just kind of saying, hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. I get that. But when we're not talking to anybody about life and us, and so all I'm doing is just, just kind of, it's, it's like I don't want to face reality. Our sin can create in, in marriages where we hide, we stop being transparent. We hide and stop being transparent. A woman came up to me one day and she said, I want to tell you, I'm going to go to my grave. Oh, I, no, no. She said, when my husband dies, I can say, I really don't know him. He hides himself from me. Oh, my goodness. And what made it sad was I, I know the couple and that, that was probably true. Uh, these things, and then the final, final one, violence and destruction, where we actively do what will destroy our families. So here's a young man who comes to a chapel like this. And here's the preacher. Here, where, where, where does he stand? He stands over here, I guess, right over here. And they, they get married. They slip rings on. And then for the next few years, he just runs her down. You can't do this and you can't do that. Why can't you be like mama? And what's wrong with you? And I'm telling you, these guys on pornography, it goes way beyond that in terms of their, their sexual intimacy and just beats her and beats her emotionally until there's not much left. And you can read in the Memphis Commercial Appeal about some kind of shooting over on, over somewhere in our area. Husband shoots a wife or wife shoots a husband. But I'm telling you, their murders are going on all the time when we just tear one another up and beat one another up until there's not much left. Now, look, if you would, at uh, on the screen. Let's talk for a moment uh, about marriage in the image of God, because this, this is pretty important. Um, what God has done for us in Christ in terms of help giving us an identity can make a significant difference in how we see marriage. God reveals himself to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. In the process, he show us, he show us, is that, is that correct English? <laughs> Russ, I should have fixed that. He show us, I think that should have been he shows us. He shows us who we are as well. That's a really significant statement. That my core identity does not come from peeling back my, myself like an onion peeling back layers, hoping that when I peel back all the layers, I'll finally find the real me. My identity comes from one who has given it to me through Christ. And so who am I? God shows us who we are. 
We are the children of God, the children of God. We are created in the image of God. Now, why does that matter? And why, what difference does that make in marriage? We are the children of God and that we were uh, and that we were created in the image of God. What difference does that make on a what's tomorrow Thursday? What difference does that make on a Thursday in, in a marriage or in a family? What what, what are the implications of, of that kind of identity? I heard the other day at the I, I, as you I, you know, I work with the School of Theology. I heard the other day that at the university at Harding University in Searcy, uh, they're focusing on C.S. Lewis this year and everybody's reading Mere Christianity and there's an evening where a, bi a biographer of C.S. Lewis is coming to campus to speak and be interviewed and C.S. Lewis's stepson will be there. Now, uh, C.S. Lewis, famous Christian author, um, that's good for now. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I just, Anyway, never mind. Um, now, now you see, knowing that, and I'll, I, I'm guessing Charlotte and I will go to that. There's going to be a bunch of people there, but you know who I'm especially interested in? The one who is his stepson. And what I would hate to do would be to shake the guy's hand and turn around and somebody say, you do know that was his stepson. Oh my goodness, let me go again. Uh, and, and see, sometimes we, we forget who we are, don't we? That you were created in the image of God. What did Charlotte say a while ago? You are, what, how'd you put it? You are? You're married to your daughter or son of God. Ooh. I don't know about you guys. I, I've got one son-in-law and I've got two daughters. I love our son-in-law, but it sure matters to me how he treats my daughter. And he treats her right and he treats her well, but it matters to me because she's my daughter. Well, when you marry one of God's daughters, you just, and you, you go home and all that messing up starts happening, all that yeah, yeah, and back and forth. And you just kind of wonder if the father doesn't, what did you say to my child? Whoa. And same thing for males. I mean, I'm, it's not just the daughters. This is God's boy here, God's child. My identity makes all the difference in the world in the way I see my mate, my spouse, and my children. It might cause me to change the way I was about to say something because, oh my goodness, this is, yeah. What else? Implications here. Oh, it's almost time. Um, I need to put this in fast forward. Uh, let me do the rest of them and we're done. The image of God disfigured by our sin is being restored after the image of Jesus Christ. So now we work out our identity in Christ. And what, what that means in plain English is we learn how to live as a people who find their identity in Christ. We're learning that every day, aren't we? And so we're called to be real. This culture 
is really into authenticity and being real. We're called to be real, but as a couple who find their identity in Christ. Now, well, I got up to the traffic light and had to slam on the brakes real quick. And so if it feels like we didn't finish tonight, we didn't, but we need to be done. And so thanks for being here. Um, this class will go four nights. I'll be gone one Wednesday in, in August, and I don't recall what it is at the moment, but, and, and Alan Black will be teaching that night. But you might give this some thought, you might read through the notes, okay? Um, by the grace of God, all of us, as broken people, flawed people, desperately need Jesus and to live out our lives, finding our identity in Him, not in anything else.